I have to warn you about something. God cut me off in the first service. I'm, I'm just saying. He cut me off. He shut off all the electricity. <laughs> and he said, you are done. <laughs> and I was done. <laughs> so I'm just saying, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> you know, I pastored a church before I went in the army, and uh, there was a young kid in my young kid, young guy in my church. I was about his age almost. He was 22 years old, and he said he was a believer then. And I asked him a story, and he said one day, let me back up. At 22 years old, he had everything he wanted. He had a Cadillac convertible. He had his own house. He had a great job. That was his goal. And he fulfilled all those goals at 22 years old. And he said, he said, I went out and I sat on my porch or my step. And then he said, I wondered, is this all there is? He said, then I looked up to the sky and this, he was in the science field and I saw all those stars and that changed the whole perspective for him. That no, what he had wasn't all there is. And there's a whole lot more that he didn't even know about. The question is, for us today, why are we here on this planet? That's a big question. Why do we exist? What is our purpose for being? Why do I live? Why am I given breath? Why does God provide food? Why does God provide our income? Why were we created in the first place? Come on, let's get all the way back to creation. Why in the world were we created? God needed nobody. Nobody. He needed nothing. He needs nothing. He didn't need us then. He doesn't need us now. So why in the world would he ever create us? You know, these are questions that are really asked, though we may not realize it, we may not admit it, but they're resolved very often in our minds by what we do with our lives. How I spend my money. How decisions I make regarding the family. Every day we're making decisions. And some of those are a revelation of what we think is ultimate in life. This is why I exist. I exist to be a good Christian father. Raise my kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's why I exist. Well, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But that's not a complete thing. 
We live in a world today of chaos and confusion and hate and bitterness and strife. It's all around us. Ultimately, people do not know why they are living, existing. They don't understand it, or they think they understand it, and they resolve that it's something less than God intended for us. The Bible has the answer. It's so clear. It is absolutely clear why God put us on this planet. And what we've tried to do in our, in our nation, in our culture, around the world, Western civilization in particular, we've tried to eliminate God. You know, for a while we put him on the edge. He's on the edge of the envelope here. And now we're trying to deny there's even an existence, although, you know, that's been going on forever. Put him out of our culture, out of our public life, get him out of our private life if we can. Eliminate him if possible. And let's just rely on what I have in my mind. I can think rationally, reasonably, so if I can do that, then I can govern my life in a very satisfying and fulfilling way to the end. Well, this friend of mine, he was 22 and he came to the end of that conclusion. <laughs> and I'm glad he came to it young and didn't wait till he was 52 or 82 And we tried to eliminate God in our nation, in our world, in some places. And what do we have? (laughs) We have chaos. We cannot expect anything better without God. Why is that? Because Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately wicked. And Romans, Paul tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no exception to that. Everyone in the world is in that category. From birth on, that's who we are. Desperately wicked hearts and sinful people. That's not very good news. (laughs) What we need, here's what we need. We need an objective reality. A reality that's outside of us. A reality that defines our purpose and meaning and existence in this life. We need a reality that tells us what is right and wrong. Because if I decide, it may be different than what you decide. So are you right or am I right? Well, many times both of us can't be right. (laughs) So what's the deal? We need a reality that defines what morality is, defines what justice is. Otherwise, what we get is what we have today. There is no purpose for our lives beyond this planet 
And so what do we get from a desperately wicked and deceitful heart? We get chaos. That's what we get. But God gives us a purpose. He declared in Isaiah 43, 7, he says, I created you for my glory. So God didn't create us because he needed us. He created us to do something that would be connected to who we are as his creation. First of all, it says we were created. We're created by design. There's no randomness out of some blob just floating around and happened to come together. I mean, that's the most ludicrous thinking there is because it doesn't show that. Nothing is random. Second, we are created to glorify God. Let's put it another way. We were created to worship God. The theme of the whole Bible is filled with worshiping the living God. In fact, that was the first sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve exchanged the glory of God or they exchanged the worship of God to worship themselves. They thought they could be God. So we, from then, we have deceitful and wicked hearts from our beginning. You know, in the Old Testament, worship covered all of life. Last time, I think I talked about worship when I was here, and... uh, I talked about worshiping the Lord. How do you worship? Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you eat or you drink, you, you do to the glory of God. How do you worship God in, when you eat pizza? <laughs> well, for one thing, you thank him for it. That's worship. And we'll see that in a minute. There's thanksgiving there that God has provided this. The only reason I have that pizza is because God has given it to me. That's the bottom line. And Adam and Eve decided they were going to give the glory of God and the worship of God up so that they could worship themselves. And that's exactly what has happened. What what is happening in our world? I mean, it's not new. It started with Adam and Eve, obviously. This whole worship, but we see an expression of that in great, great detail now. In Israel, worship was to be the continual preoccupation of all the people. And that then was translated into the way they lived their lives. I want you to go to Psalm 105. Go to the last two verses, verse 44. The psalmist here is reiterating 
all that God has done for Israel in this psalm. Verse 44 says, And he, God, gave, gave the people of Israel the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toils. Why? Why did God bring the people into the land of Canaan? Why did God allow the people to take over the people who were in there? What was his purpose? Well, his purpose is here. Verse 45, with that little word that. I hope you have that, that translation in your translation, the word that. That, or so that, they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Keeping his statutes and observing his laws was worship for the Israelites. That's how they worshiped God. God provided the moral code for them. And when they kept that, they were worshiping the living God. And this was a continual preoccupation day after day of their lives in the midst of all that they had to do in their, in their making a living and raising a family. All of that was a part of their worship. The, when John in Revelation, fell down before the angel to worship him, the angel said, no, 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 no. We worship God. That's who we worship. So the Bible is clear while we exist. Over 170 times in Scripture, worshiping God is declared. It's either declared to worship God or it recognizes a failure in worshiping God. And with that failure comes condemnation. So the purpose of our lives in everything we do, the reason we were created, we were created in the image of God, and that creation is a worshiping creation. Everywhere around the world, anthropologists tell us, people worship. Something. Something. But we're so smart in our Western civilization that we want to eliminate it. Now, what they're worshiping is not right. It's not true. But we want to eliminate it all. And in reality, what we're doing is worshiping ourselves. What our world needs and what our nation needs in all this confusion is we need to worship the true and the living God. We need to cease from worshiping ourselves. We need to cease from worshiping some kind of an image of God that we've created in our mind. You know, my God is as good as your God, so both of our gods are good. Even though I don't know anything about him, but I've... I make up what I know about him. You know what? You know why God saved us? You know why God has forgiven us? You know why God has justified us? He didn't do any of that to be the end. And that we just go on our merry way. Not at all. God has forgiven us, saved us, and justified us for the very purpose of worshiping Him. 
because it takes that kind of a person to get into his presence. Without holiness, no one comes to the Lord. 1 Peter 3.18, it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he die? Why did he suffer? Why did he take my place? Peter tells us with a little word that, that or so that, he could bring us to God. He could bring us to the Father because nobody can get in the presence of God without, with sin in their lives. So Jesus takes it all, gives us his righteousness, counts that to us, and envelops us in his righteousness, and we can go into the very presence of the Holy God to do what we were created to do, and that is worship him. Preoccupied with worshiping God in everything we do, in conversation, in how we spend our money, decisions we make, the living we make, everything is worship in God's eyes. This, is, this service is only a service of worship. And eating this afternoon will also be worship. So our whole purpose is worshiping the Lord. Then the question is, what does worship look like? What is, let's, let's get down where the rubber meets the road here. What does worship look like? Jesus said to worship the Lord is to worship in spirit and in truth. So ultimate worship is worshiping in response to what is true. So what does that look like? We are to worship in response to who God is. Let's go to second. Let's go to First Chronicles, chapter sixteen, and let's see what David does and what David says. First Chronicles, chapter sixteen. David's in a great celebration. He is moving the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem to be placed in the tabernacle. Now this is such a big deal because this represents the presence, very presence of God. So God is, God is coming back in, or coming into Jerusalem to be put into the tabernacle where people would meet God. And this is a celebration. So look at verse 7 to begin with. 1 Chronicles 16, 7. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph, Asaph and his brothers. So David commissions the singers to sing as the ark is marched into Jerusalem. And the song that we have following is the song that David writes for them to sing. Now you will find pieces of the same song in some of the psalms. But here it is, as they're singing and people are marching and they're singing this great song. So let's begin with this song. He says in verse 8, or sings in verse 8, 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. So David says that the way we worship God is by thanking him. Thanking him for the pizza, (laughs) for the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, for anything. Thank him for the socks I wear. (laughs) Be preoccupied with thanking God. You remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, sinful man did two things. They failed to honor God as God. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And they failed to thank him. I can do it. I don't need God. What do I need God for? I'm smart. I'm educated. What in the world would I need God for? Why should I thank him for my job? I got it because of who I am, because of my credentials, pure and simple. Paul says, this spiral... It's a spiral in Romans chapter 1. It starts here and and works its way down. A place, this whole spiral is where we live now. In this time in history, we are living in this spiral. Sinful man fails to honor God as God and says, I'm not going to thank him. You know, the word thank, I like to, I look up, I like to look, uh, I like to look up in the Bible how many times a word occurs. And I'm, I am really thankful to the Lord for the technology. <laughs> because I'm not, I really not, I'm too lazy to count that many times. But it occurs somewhere around a hundred times. The word thank or thankfulness or thanksgiving and much of the time, most of the time, refers to God in some way. Being thankful. Thankful for his mercies. The psalmist says, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's how we move into his presence. We begin with thanking him. And David, that's where he starts. And this whole psalm is bracketed with thanksgiving. He starts with thanksgiving, and then he ends with thanksgiving. Okay, in that verse it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Seek him. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah says. Call upon him while he is near. You know, God is near. He has come into our presence so that we might seek him. Because he needs us? No, because we need him. He is everything we need, truly everything we really need. And then he says in, ver- in that same verse, he says, oh, give thanks, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Worship is also not only thanking God, not only seeking God, we seek God. We, God knows the value we place in him then. I mean, he knows already, but it's a demonstration of that value when we seek him. And now David says, you worship by proclaiming him. You worship by telling about him. 
He says, make known his deeds among the peoples. Go into the nations and the neighborhoods. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. So speaking about God is worshiping. So if, if, you, if you talk to somebody about God, you're worshiping. Went to the doctor the other day. <laughs> and um, she, you know, went over my health records and everything, and she thinks I'm in good health. I think she's blind, but anyway. She says, and she goes to the table, she says, knock on wood. <laughs> and I said, thank the Lord. <laughs> we talked a little more, and she says, knock on wood. <laughs> I said, thank the Lord. That's worship. It's just a word, but it's not a word. It's every word. It's everything. Thank the Lord. I hope she got some message out of that. Verse 9. David says, sing. Sing to God. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Singing is also proclaiming. Because when we were singing these songs, we were singing to God. That's who we're singing to. We're not singing to ourselves. We shouldn't be. You don't want to hear me. <laughs> yes, you do. I know you really do. Mark, isn't that right? You know? <laughs> but we sing to God. And what we sing to God is what we believe about God. We sing praises to God. Sing to him. Sing praises. Tell of his wondrous works. And then verse 10 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. You know, we are to have strong affection for God. He says, he said here, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. We are to worship in such a way that our emotions are involved. You know what? One of the things I regret and I can't do anything about it. But I, being an old guy, I take a bunch of medications. And some of the medications I have uh, stymie my affect. Which means emotions are harder to reveal. <laughs> Just physically, it's, it just doesn't happen a lot. And so that grieves me in a way because our affect is part of our worshiping the living God, our emotions. God created us emotional people. We're not stoic robots. We cry get afraid, joyful. And sometimes for me, some of that is, it just, it doesn't get expressed. Joy, for example, crying, tears, 
don't happen as much anymore. I, can't, I mean, I can't do anything about it. I can not take the medicine and peel over. <laughs> but, you know, that's not going to work. So God has called us and created us as emotional people and part of that worship is with radiance of our hearts, rejoicing and boasting in him. This word glory in this verse means to boast. It means to shine. So our lives are to be a radiant, rejoicing, boasting in God and his great name. And that should be that should be demonstrated by the way we live our lives, by the decisions we make in life. Should be a demonstration of this rejoicing and boasting in who he is. Because of what it does, it changes priorities in our lives. If God is our priority and we are boasting and rejoicing in him, and we have strong affection in our heart for him, as David talks about right here, our priorities could be very different than they are now. Or certainly be very different than what we see in the world. The priority of the world around us is me. That's a priority. It's not you, it's me. And what you can do for me. That's a priority. The priority for the believer is God and how that translates into all of our life. All of our life. Even eating pizza. Okay, verse 11. He says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Psalm 16:11. the psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's God and God alone where we find pleasure. It's God and God alone where we find the strength that we need. There's a joy in God that is not even explainable in the world. It's not understandable to the natural man. Before I was a believer, to me, joy was what I could do. Me, what I could do. Or what I would do. Or did do. That was joy. And any way I could, that was joy. Had nothing to do, nothing to do with God. God didn't create me like that. He didn't create my heart like that. I was raised in a church where my parents weren't saved until they were in their 40s, and I was 16. I did not like that. (laughs) From 16 till I was 20, we had war. And my dad had a rule um, and this is his rule. I went to a community college before the university, and this is his rule. He said, look, you're old enough to leave. You can do that. You're free to go. He said, but if you live in my house, these are the rules. 
So he set a curfew, which was ridiculous in my mind. (laughs) And then also he said you have to go to church once a week. That was even more ridiculous in my mind. And so I went week after week, sit in the back very often. Sometimes I'd sneak out, go play football. But I would, I heard faithfully the gospel preached. Faithfully. You know, that was, I've told this before, but that was a time of the Vietnam War. And um, <clears throat> I remember the news, every week on the news, Friday or Saturday, they'd give the body count of the number of soldiers killed in Vietnam. It was a lot of body count every week. And I remember laying in bed after going to a party or something. Laying in bed, everything was quiet that night. I thought I had a great time at the party. And lay in bed, and the Holy Spirit, I, I, I'd say it's the Holy Spirit now, I didn't know that then. I would, what would come to mind is the body count for the week. Because I know I could get drafted. I had a draft eligibility of 1A, even though I was in school, college, because my, my grades were so poor. And the Holy Spirit would remind me as I laid there, I would think about, if you don't wake up, you're going to hell. Just that clear. And I'd reject it. I don't know how I ever slept. But that was pursuit of God in our lives. We all have a different story there. But that's where pleasure is, is in God and God alone. I, I don't know why I went there, but I did. Isaiah 44, 24, God says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone, I love that, who alone stretched out the heavens. And I like this part. He says, who spread out the earth by myself. I didn't need anybody to help me. Nobody helped me. I did it all by myself. <laughs> and I think it's even more r- remarkable that he just spoke from nothing in existence. No molecules, no atoms, none of that. No substance. He spoke and everything came into existence. So we're to seek God's strength. We're to seek God's power. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to... Let me just start with verse, uh, I'll start with verse 3. Paul says, For we walk, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. <clears throat> he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. So Paul, for David says, We worship by going to God and seeking Him for our strength and joy and power. 
And Paul is saying, yeah, that's right. That's right, because we have to fight a war that's not of this body and skin and bones. It's not of this flesh. It's much greater than that. And he said, we have a war to fight that takes something that's greater than us, and that's God and his power. So David says, you worship by seeking that power. Paul says, that's, we're using weapons of war that are God's power. And then he says in verse, um, same verse, flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There are a lot of arguments or opinions that float around that are against God. that come from the nature of a sinful person. Here's one of them. Killing unborn babies. It's pure, pure, unadulterated evil. Pure, unadulterated evil. And then, to claim... It's women's health. (laughs) The Bible says, beware when we call evil good and good evil. And then, not only thinking it, but legislating it for a long time now. Paul says, by the strength and the power of God, we are, to take, we are to demolish those strongholds. Take every thought captive to Christ. If we have skewed thinking, thinking that is not biblical thinking, if it's not biblical thinking, it's skewed thinking, And we need to bring that into the captivity of Christ. Here's another one that's floating around. These are nothing new. I remember, I remember when I was in the army standing in Germany, east in West Germany, standing on the border of eastern Germany, watching across the no man's land at the German East German guards watching me. I'm watching them, they're watching me, or us. This whole no man's land filled with mines. And the East Germans were not reluctant to fire their weapons at somebody because they killed many people trying to cross that border. And from there, all the way through Siberia was one ideology And the ideology was Marxism. And Marxism hates God. Karl Marx wanted to eliminate him if he could. And so now, even in our own nation, we have it. This is just, this is greater than, than, 
I mean, this, this is a stronghold against God. It's not just against us. It's against God. It's the same stronghold that the, the Chinese hold now. They hate God. They, there's a new purge underway in China. They're taking churches that were above ground meeting, separating them now, getting rid of those. Nobody can meet like that. They, they're finding every way they can to find the underground churches and persecuting those people putting them in prison, beating them, whatever they need to do. There's so many people. There's a whole section of Muslims in, in China. A whole culture of people. Not that, not that Islam is right, but it's a whole culture of people in, in China that they are eradicating. <laughs> they want no religion. None. They are their religion. It's just like Rome, you know. Caesar is Lord. Was what Rome wanted. And we are called, as part of our worship, to stand against anything that is not true. That is against God. That is not true true according to his word and according to who he is. Why does God hate abortion? Why does he hate it? He hates it because he created those babies. And it's a total affront against his authority. Total affront against his character. All right, let me go on. Let's go on to the third point, beginning with verse 15, back in 1 Chronicles. He says, remember, the covenant, remember his covenant, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statute to Jacob, an everlasting covenant to Israel, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Part of our worshiping God is a call by God to remember. We are called to remember things. We are called to remember here his covenant. We are called to remember that the covenant that God made with Abraham is a covenant that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you and I are here today because of that covenant being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. God's promise never wavered in that. Through all the sin of the nations and the people, God plowed through all of that evil to bring about the covenant fulfilled in Christ Jesus. In fact, God is so sovereign, he used that evil to bring Jesus to the cross. It was the evil hearts of those in leadership who brought him to the cross and the evil hearts of the people. You can find that in Acts chapter 4. All of that was planned by God. 
So we are called to remember this covenant. The covenant made with Abraham is an everlasting covenant. It's not one generational. It's multi-generational. In fact, God's covenant spans through the cross all the way into eternity. The only way we're ever going to make it into the presence of God is God continuing to fulfill his covenant that he has made, his promise. He is unchanging. He has full authority to do that, all power to make it happen. In fact, the Bible tells us, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. He will. (laughs) What a great promise. I need that promise. Okay, let's go to verse 18. Verse 18 says, saying, I will, I, to you I will give the land of the Canaan as a portion for your inheritance. We need to remember that the covenant gives to us an inheritance. God rips us out of the kingdom of darkness and places us into his inheritance, his kingdom, his very presence. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.8, he says, remembering Jesus, remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David. So the very one that's writing this song and singing this song has an offspring called Jesus. And we're to remember that. Jesus said, when he had the supper with his his disciples the night before he was crucified, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So worship is remembering. Worship is studying. Worship is meditating on God. Worship is seeking him and who he is. But there's a warning. Jesus gave a warning in Revelation 3, verse 3. He says, remember then... What you received and heard. So all of us have received, if you're a believer, all of us have received and heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard. He said, then he says, keep it. And then he says, repent. Or as John Owen said, kill sin before it kills you turn away from it so part of worship is repentance is confessing our sin to God and then turning away from it and going the other direction okay the last point comes beginning with verse 23 we'll skip all the way down there Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Verse 23 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. So we're back to singing. (laughs) Singing is really important. The word singing occurs over a hundred times in the Bible. Sing to the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord. Sing to the honor of his name, the scripture says. So it's, The Bible is full of commands to us that we're to sing to God. Now, the the quality of the voice doesn't mean a hoot (laughs) to God. You know, he's looking at the heart. 
However the shape the singing takes, it's immaterial. We are to sing his praise. And the Bible is full of that. I think part of singing is studying. I think it's, it's, it's mining. It's mining God's character as he's revealed it in his plan of salvation. Who is this God that we're supposed to sing to? That's what we're to do. Sing to him. Mine it. Verse 24. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So worshiping God is declaring his glory among the nations. Kind of he's covered that already. Um, Israel was called to be a light to the nations around them. They failed in that mission. We are called to be a light to people around us, locally and globally, we're called with that mission. To, to Jesus says, go into all the world. To go all the world. And, and David here, in his song, <laughs> he's reminding the people to do that and reminding us. Verse 25 says, and it's important that your translation have the little word for. Because it's in the Hebrew, it says, For great is the Lord and greatly to pray, be to praise. And it's related to verse 24. 24 is declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. And the question is, why? Why should we go and do that? Why should we tell people about Jesus? David says, Because, that's the word for, because great is the Lord. And he is the one that's to be greatly praised. And he is the one to be held in awe because he is above all the gods. And then he says in verse 26, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. They are no gods. But the Lord made the heavens. The one who has made everything has the right of authority over everything that he has made. And we are to come and fall down before him and give our lives to him, the one who created us. Okay, let's go on. Verse 26. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made them all. You know, that the word Lord there. I hope your translation capitalizes it because that's Yahweh. That's God's name. You want to know what God's name is? God's name is Yahweh. Or God's name is I am. Or God's name is to be. None of us in this room can claim to be. You know, to be or not to be. None of us can claim that. Nobody can say I am, meaning I have no beginning and I have no end. Nobody can say that here. Only God can say that. And that's why he's above all the other gods that are no gods. You know, in Nepal, they got gods everywhere, and we watch them dust their gods off, dust their gods off. My God doesn't need dusted. (laughs) I need dusted. He doesn't need dusted. Let's go on, verse 27. Why do we declare his glory? Because splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Then we get to the next verse, verse 28. And I love this little word, ascribe. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O clans of peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his presence. I love this word. This word means to give to God or to declare to God what is due him. So if God is, if God made the heavens and the earth, he has full authority over everything, and he is the I am. He just, he just is, no beginning, no end. If that's who he is, then what is it that I can declare or acknowledge or give to God that only he alone deserves? And the answer is worship. That's the answer. That's why the Bible is full of that word, worship. Worship by thanking him. Worship by singing about him. Worship by, by reading and studying his word and his truth. Worship by taking strongholds of thinking in our world and making them captive to Christ and fighting against those ways of thinking. That's worship to God. And that's what he deserves. He deserves for his people to fight against that which is against him. Now, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. But he uses means to accomplish his purposes. So David says, give to God, ascribe to God what is due his name. And then he uses the word glory here. And the word glory carries with it weight. So this, this is the way it, means, it goes. The Lord deserves from us the acknowledgement of the weight of who he is. It is God and God alone that is due honor, all our honor from us. That is worship. My boss, I don't have one now. I do have a boss. But my army boss, the general I might have served, might have been a great person, great, great general, great commander, whatever level it was, deserved respect, deserved honor, deserved obedience, but doesn't deserve what God deserves, didn't deserve what God deserves. In no way, shape, or form. Paul says in Romans 121, we're created in the image of God. What is known about God is plain to everybody, so there'll be no, no excuses, no tap dancing at the judgment of God. And what we have done is we have taken the truth that we've known about God and we suppressed it. And when we suppressed it, we did not ascribe to God or honor God as being who he is, God. And not only that, we have exchanged that honor for the weightiness of rubbish and trash and our own glory. That's what we've exchanged it for. And that's the world we live in. In fact, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.12 that we pleasure, we pleasure in unrighteousness. 
You bet your sweet bippy we do. <laughs> That's exactly right. I loved pleasure. I pleasured in everything that was wrong. My poor parents. Anyway, okay, verse 29. Uh, let's, go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 30. And, and here's part of worship also. <clears throat> Let me go to verse 29. He says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name, bring an offering, and come before him. We are called by God to bring an offering as part of our worship. Ultimately, our offering is our lives. That's what we bring to, to worship. But we are, we are called to bring an offering before God because what that does, the, on, the, the offering we bring to God reveals how much honor we give to God. It reveals how much worth we put in God. That's what it tells. That's what it says. Only God knows our hearts. So only God knows that honor that we give to him. Like the, the woman who put in her one mite, she was honoring God as God. The Pharisees, who had tons of money, they might have put a big chunk in. Their hearts were all wrong. And God's not interested in the money. He's interested in the heart that gives it. And they did not honor God as God. They were honoring themselves and worshiping themselves. Okay, let's go to, uh, let's go to verse 30. Part of verse 29 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. We are to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, in the beauty of, his, of holiness. Now, it means two things here. It means holy attire, that I am to come to God with holy attire. I, can, I can't get into God's presence without holy attire. There has to be holiness in my life to get into his presence. And the holiness that brings me into his presence is the very righteousness of Christ that I've been wrapped in. I've been wrapped in the holiness of Christ. And that's the way I get into his presence. So we are to worship the Lord in holy attire, the holy heart. But also what's implied here is worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. He is holy. I can't get into his presence without being holy. But when I come into his presence, recognizing he is pure holiness. Not an ounce of evil, not an ounce of wrong, not an ounce of anything against his own character. Nothing. Everything we know in the scripture is absolutely true. And we are to come, look at, verses, look at verse 34. We'll skip a little bit. We are to come, he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
So he virtually ends it in thanksgiving. And then he talks about um, God's delivery of them and thanking his holy name in song. So we're, we're to worship the Lord by thanking and singing and proclaiming and defeating strongholds of evil thinking and evil practice. Um, we worship the Lord by honoring him, him, God, as God and not some little tiny thing I dust off or something, imagination of my own mind. Of, I think God's like this. Well, yeah, why? how do you know? God is God, and he is to be worshipped with our whole lives, down to thanking him for eating pizzas and drinking a Coke. I'm hungry. (laughs) So why is our world so messed up? It's messed up because we have exchanged the worship of God for the worship of ourselves, bottom line. I know better than you know better. And my better is better than your better. (laughs) Well, God trumps all our betters. And we are in this fix as a world. And it's, you know, it's, it's a world that's been going on since Adam and Eve. But we are now in this part of history and we are facing this. And what are we going to do Except we're going to worship God. And we're going to treat God as God. And we're to proclaim that truth. Proclaim that truth. I'm glad people told me about Jesus. From the pastor of the church proclaiming the truth, from my parents to anybody else. I remember when I went to the altar. Helga and I both went. Came to Christ at the same time. I remember some old guys in the church. Dear, dear saints of God. (laughs) Coming up. I'm kneeling at the altar. They're coming. And they're slapping me on the back. Pray through, brother. (laughs) I love those guys. They prayed for me before. That's what we're to do in our world. Let's pray.